Hello listeners, I'm Shayna, and I'm back with another episode of Criminal Beauty. Before we jump into this episode, I have a couple of things to tell you all. First, I'm excited to announce that Caitlin and I have officially opened an online boutique and we hit the ground running. And second, because of the new store being open and running, I will temporarily be switching to bi-weekly episodes until we establish some balance. If you all would like to check it out, the boutique, you can find it on Facebook at Sinful Sass and Co. We will have a website launched at the beginning of the year. With that being said, let me tell you what I will be covering today. I will be covering the case of a girl who went missing in 1991 when she was 11 years old and survived for numerous years. This is the case of J.C. Lee Dugard and the man that stole her life. Please be aware that this episode may be triggering for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. The morning of June 10, 1991, in Myers, California, J.C. Lee Dugard leaves to walk to the bus stop to catch the bus to school. Her stepfather, Carl Proben, is outside and watches J.C. leave, but he wasn't the only one watching. As J.C. continues towards the bus stop, a car drives up and cuts her off. According to her book, A Stolen Life, she just froze and then felt tingly. At the time, she said she didn't know what had happened, but a man had used a taser on her, and then his wife grabbed J.C. up and put her in the back seat. She said that after they drove for a bit, she heard the driver say, I can't believe we got away with it, and then started laughing. That was the last time anyone would see J.C. for almost two decades. J.C.'s stepdad saw what had happened, and he didn't have time to get to her before the car drove off. He ran inside and immediately called 911. Let me tell you a little background on the sick man that took J.C. Philip Garrido and his wife Nancy were the two that took her. Philip was born in California in 1951. He started struggling with substance abuse after graduating high school in 1969 and had been arrested for possession in 1970. J.C. was far from Philip's first victim. In 1972, he was arrested for drugging and raping a 14-year-old girl in a hotel. The charges were dropped after the 14-year-old refused to testify. According to Biography.com, he later abducted a 25-year-old single mother, Catherine Calloway, taking her to a storage unit that he had already set up. He then would proceed to drug and rape this woman for hours. Philip had absurd sexual fantasies that he wanted to play out with no regard of who would get hurt. He wanted total domination of these women. Police ended up showing up on suspicion of the storage unit being broken into. When Philip opened the door to the unit and Katie realized who it was, she made a break for it. Philip was arrested and sent to Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas. While in prison, Philip met Nancy, a nursing assistant in her 20s. They eventually get married inside the prison, and she would visit him regularly for seven years until he was released on parole after only serving 11 years. Now that you know a bit about Philip, let's get back to JC's story. After Carl had called 911, 
police immediately started searching for J.C. They had set up roadblocks and went door to door. J.C.'s mother, Terry, searched relentlessly for her. They made flyers and even got a national television to speak about her daughter and how she needed to be brought home. Police did everything to try to find J.C., and although several people witnessed the kidnapping, they could not form any reliable leads. Meanwhile, two hours away in Anatoc, California, at the Garrido home, Philip and Nancy are pulling J.C. out of the car and escorting her into the house. Once in the house, Philip then strips J.C. down and throws a blanket over her head and then tells her that he is going to handcuff her. He then leads her to a shed in his backyard. The shed had been set up specifically for this reason. Philip had soundproofed it and he had equipped it to sustain life inside. According to J.C., during an interview, there was a window above her bed and that it was covered with the blinds and a towel and she couldn't readily see out of it. According to her book, Philip told her that if she tried to escape, that there were trained Doberman pinchers outside that would attack her. That night, he starts to film J.C. while she is sleeping, and then he begins raping her, and if she tried to resist, he would threaten her with violence. He tells her that as long as he has her for his outlet, that she's saving other children from a similar situation. At this point, it didn't take her long to realize that if she didn't satisfy him, that she could get hurt badly, or worse, die. As months and years pass, police fear that J.C. has been killed. They continue to leave the case open and regularly do follow-ups, but with time comes dwindling leads. A neighbor reported that a child, as a child, he had met J.C. through the gate while she was in the backyard. He said that he had asked her what her name was and she had replied, J.C. And when asked if she lived there or if she was just visiting, she said that she lived there. After that, Philip took J.C. back inside and built an eight-foot fence around the backyard, then set up a tent for her. He eventually gave J.C. a TV, but she was not allowed to watch the news. According to her interview on ABC's 2020, she was only able to watch QVC, which is a channel where they show and sell jewelry. She stated that she would fall asleep to that. Philip would spend hours or days tripping on drugs and abusing J.C., and eventually, J.C. would no longer be able to use her real name for anything. He gave her the nickname Snoopy, and that is what she would be referred to as. In Philip's eyes, it would be much easier to brainwash a child using different techniques to dehumanize JC so that he could rebuild her the way that he wanted her to be. Eventually, Philip introduces JC to Nancy. Nancy knew that Philip enjoyed abusing JC, so she never tried to stop him. In fact, Nancy had known about Philip's wants and needs. It was the selfish want on her part. Prior to them taking J.C., she had agreed that she would help him capture a slave to satisfy him, and this would be something that would keep her from having to meet his demands in ways she may not have wanted to. She now had someone to play that part in her relationship with Philip. J.C. is still trying to avoid provoking or showing signs of aggression, 
Her plan was to try and win Nancy over in hopes that she would have a companion, someone that she could have some sort of comfort with. Two years after J.C.'s abduction, police come knocking at the Garrido's door. They had a warrant for Philip's arrest for violating his parole. He had previously refused a drug test, twice, in turn leaving Nancy in charge of J.C. You would think this would be the perfect time for Nancy to set J.C. free, but J.C.'s horrifying situation is just beginning. Nancy didn't let her go, and soon she found herself pregnant and only 13 years old, and Philip was coming home. Philip had only served a four-week sentence for violating his parole. The time came for J.C. to give birth, and Philip would be the one to deliver the baby with assistance from Nancy. This gave him one more reason to tell J.C. she couldn't leave. One more thing to hold over her head like he had when he told her that her being there was saving other children. J.C. had given birth to a baby girl, and eventually they are both permitted to leave the shed, but are never able to leave the high-fenced compound. And then three years later, she would give birth to another baby. Another girl. To make matters worse, there were doctors and parole officers in and out of Philip's house. Over 60 times over the course of J.C.'s abduction. Not once did they scour the backyard. They even were there after J.C. had given birth to her children, and they were blind to all of it. Even when a neighbor called 911 and reported that there were children living in the backyard, nothing was done. Philip claimed that he could hear the demons in the walls, and he would regularly make J.C. listen for them. Of course, she couldn't hear them, but she complied nonetheless. She claimed that even after she became a mother, Philip still overpowered her with his mood, which she would do everything to avoid. At one point, Philip told J.C. that they needed to make Nancy feel better. To do this, he would tell her that from then on, the girls would begin calling Nancy mom and that they would only know J.C. as their sister. I'm going to be honest, I would have come unglued. I, mm -mm, nope. Anyway, by the time that all of J.C.'s school friends from the fifth grade were headed off to college, Philip and Nancy had the confidence that no one would find J.C. They even went out in public with her to a place they called a cornfest. There were photos taken that day and they were in the paper, but J.C. wasn't in any of them. She said no one had noticed her, but that she had gained weight and that her once blonde hair had turned brown. On the episode of ABC 2020 with Diane Sawyer, Diane had asked her if she had ever just thought about grabbing the girls and running. She responded that she was sure she had, but that the situation made it feel impossible. She also said that Philip had told her that the outside world was dangerous, which in turn made her believe that she would not be able to protect her girls out there. The manipulative hold that Philip Garrido had on J.C. was like no other. She 100% depended on him for everything, from companionship to survival, things like food and water. While it wasn't Stockholm Syndrome, which is where the captured has trust or affection toward the captor, J.C. was only alive because of Philip. 
His narcissistic personality and the master manipulator that he was kept J.C. metaphorically handcuffed. Even after Philip had started up a printing business and J.C. was designing cards and such using a computer with internet, she never once used it to deceive Philip out of fear that he would catch her. It wasn't until Philip started putting up flyers around a local college campus with two girls about his outrageous religious beliefs that someone would step in. Let me correct myself because it would be Officer Lisa Campbell and Allie Jacobs that would change JC and her daughter's lives forever. It was the two officers that engaged with Philip pretending to be interested in his beliefs. Not long after they ran to check into who he was, they found that he was a sex offender and that he had a violent record. The feeling of them not liking what they had initially seen when Philip was putting up the flyers had been constituted. On August 26th of 2009, parole officers would summon Philip Garrido and his family would accompany him. They were questioning him, but they are hitting a wall with J.C. J.C. is sticking to the script that Philip had given her. Her name was not J.C., according to that script, and even though they had asked her numerous times, she refused to say her name, saying that her name was actually Alyssa. Surprisingly, the first one to crack is Philip himself. He admits to kidnapping, but isn't clear on who he kidnapped. Eventually, J.C. agrees to write it down. For the first time, in 18 years, she wrote her name. She was free. Finally, she was free. Her dream of seeing her mom again, they called JC's mom, and for the first night, JC and her two daughters stayed in a hotel room. The next day, she was reunited with her mother. It was Hope that had got JC through everything that she had been through. Philip and his wife Nancy were arrested. The statement that Philip had made on August 27th of 2009 read in part, quote, My life has been straightened out. Wait till you hear the story of what took place at this house. You're going to be absolutely impressed. It's a disgusting thing that took place with me at the beginning, but I turned my life completely around, end quote. The police returned to the Garrido home and did an extensive search for the evidence, and because Philip had access to his neighbor's house, they also searched it for any evidence. On August 28, 2009, Philip and Nancy both pled not guilty to charges of kidnapping, rape, and false imprisonment. The case was prosecuted in El Dorado County, and a bell review or pre-preliminary hearing was held on September 14th. At the hearing, the Supreme Court judge set the bell for Nancy for $30 million and a no-bell parole hold for Philip. The judge initially kept Nancy in custody on a no-bell hold, but she was granted bell at a later date. At that same hearing, the Garrido attorney requested a psychologist or psychiatric appointment to perform a confidential evaluation. Such evaluations can help in the preparation of the case for the defense. Three weeks after her release, J.C. had requested that she get the pets that were raised in the home. She also started animal therapy with horses, which she did with her mom and her little sister, Shayna. On October 29th, a short hearing was held to set the date for the next pre-preliminary hearing, where things like discovery would be discussed. 
The date set for this hearing was December 11th. Katie Calloway Hall, the woman that Philip had kidnapped and raped in 1976, appeared in court for both the October and December hearing, but did not speak during the proceedings. Prior to the December hearing, Nancy Garrido's attorney requested that she be removed from the case. After a ton of back and forth about how they would handle Nancy, eventually Nancy's original attorney was removed from the case and she was appointed a new one. He set bail then at $20 million. By February 2010, Philip and Nancy had supposedly made a full confession in the case. Their attorney acknowledged that Nancy was facing 241 years and 8 months, but had requested that it be reevaluated and dropped to 30 years. I'm sorry, but that's a huge drop in years. If I did my math right, that's 211 years less. He asked that it take that the court take into consideration the fact that Philip was a master manipulator and that Nancy was also a victim of his and that she was also under the influence of drugs during the time. Now, don't get me wrong, I get it. I 100% get it with somebody being a master manipulator and then the other person being the victim, but Nancy had like four weeks to release JC and go to law enforcement about it. So I think she knew what she was doing. Anywho, on April 7th of 2010, an anticipated guilty plea had turned into a not guilty plea from Philip and Nancy on all charges. There was suspicion that the grand jury may have been selected improperly and had acted improperly, and the judge noted that there were issues in the process. The judge also stated that the court would consider if the grand jury acted appropriately. There were a ton of different speed bumps in the case, including misinformation from attorneys about pleas, and neither attorney would elaborate on any of the concerns. Ultimately, it was decided that the discrepancies of the grand jury would not derail the case, and on April 28, 2011, Philip and Nancy both pled guilty to kidnapping and rape by force. Philip was sentenced to 431 years to life in prison, and Nancy was sentenced to 36 years to life in prison. Philip was incarcerated at California State Prison, and Nancy was sent to Central California Women's Facility. JC did not attend the sentencing, but instead sent a written letter to her mother to be read aloud in court. JC was granted $20 million by the state of California for the lapses by the corrections department that ultimately led to her continued captivity and ongoing sexual and mental abuse. Since her release, JC Lee Dugard has written two books about her experience. The first one, A Stolen Life, a Memoir and the second, Freedom, My Book of Firsts. Both of her daughters thrived and went to college, and they have no interest in seeing their father. Until next time, stay safe, friends. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit that subscribe or follow button and tune in every Monday for a new episode. Episode suggestions can be sent to criminalbeautypod at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at criminalbeauty20 and on Instagram at criminalbeautypod.